Praise the Lord. Well, I um, have a little word tonight. Uh, it's kind of a, a continuation of the message from Sunday. Um, we talked a lot about the, the fact that we live in the world, and, um, and the world wants to distract us. The world wants to... Um, bring us down, the world wants to um, steal and kill and destroy. And, um, but um, the, the Lord has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And I talked about getting into that position where everything just clicks. And it has to do with having all of the resources that we need in order to walk in the Spirit. And because He has supplied all those resources, the resources are ours, and so um, we have to take the resources, and we have to make use of the resources. So I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. I want to get more into the nitty-gritty of what does that look like, and, and how do we do that on a day-to-day basis? I mentioned that the Word says that we're to meditate day and night. And, and what does that look like? So what I'm going to say tonight, you've heard before, I'm sure. But what my prayer is, is that the Holy Spirit is going to take what you've heard before and make it brand new. Um, he's been working in my life. So what I'm sharing to, with you tonight, He's transacting in me. I, I can only share out of my own walk with him. And uh, in fact, that's where I want to begin tonight. Um, so get your Bibles out. Woo! Praise God. And um, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to start with verse 24. Probably a familiar passage um, to all of you, but we want to take kind of a close look at what does this mean? So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and reading out of the New Living Translation. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So, run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So, Paul uses that imagery often, of running a race. And in this case, we're all running a race. And we're running in such a way that we're going to run in order to obtain the prize. And in order to do that, we need to discipline ourselves. Interestingly, when he says, I discipline my body, in the RSV that I memorized this in, he says, I pommel my body, and subdue it. 
And the Greek word for pommel literally means that. It means to beat black and blue. And the, the Greek word for training it to do what it should or to subdue it actually means, it speaks about slavery. And it's, it means to bring your body into obedience at, to, or to lead into slavery. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that if we're going to run the race with endurance, we need to subdue our body. Why? Because the body wants to do those things I mentioned in 1 John 2, 15 and 16 about loving the world for all that is in the world, the what? The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's the deal, you know. We're in the world and, all the, and everything that the world has, and so there's this great attraction to our body, that carnal side of our lives, in, in order to um, do those carnal things. And so what he's saying here is we have to uh, subdue that, and we're going to get into how that happens, because in the world, when you're in the world, the body, it wants to reign, and the body wants to reign over our spirit. But in, the, in, the, in God's kingdom, our spirit rules our body, and that's the way we need to walk. The Apostle Paul in, in Galatians 5.16 calls that walking in the Spirit, and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. So you see the dichotomy there. You can walk according to the world, you can walk carnally and the body rules, or you can walk in the Spirit and the Spirit rules. So let's flip over to Romans chapter 7. You know this chapter, sandwiched between six where we have been raised with Christ, and sin has been broken in our lives, and eight, that talks about being controlled by the Spirit. And sandwiched in between there is Paul talking about, I want to do this, but I do this. And so let's pick up in verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The battlefield is in our mind. So, it's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin, 8-1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Man, that is powerful. 
So, so that, that leaning of our body to go do the sinful things is, is, is totally um, uh, broken. We are no longer a slave to sin. We are now a slave to righteousness. It is now this life-giving spirit that has freed us from the power of sin. But we have to stay there. It's like Paul says, we have to pommel our body and subdue it in order to walk in the Spirit. So um, that's why he writes, everybody knows this verse, Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's the key, Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the real key is Christ in us. Flip over to Colossians chapter 3, and, uh, and we'll look at verses 3 and 4. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Woo! So, so our real life is Christ. Our real life is Christ in us, living in us. So it is no longer... I've been... <clears throat> I don't know how to express this. I've been meditating on this over and over and over again on every prayer walk that I go on every day I'm I'm turning this over and chewing on it and talking to the Lord about it about it is no longer I who live it is Christ who lives in me I Christ lives his life in me it's 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 mind-blowing and and so we can walk in the spirit but I, I fear that in, in, the, in the church, written large, is that oftentimes we, we get lulled into this um, stupor, I don't know what other kind of word it is, where we think that we can read our devotional in the morning, and that suffices. That's going to get us through the day. Or, or if we're really spiritual, we'll have a quiet time and we'll, we'll read a passage from the Scripture and then we say, I've had my quiet time, and then you go out about your day and you might recur or you might to, to, to think about what you read and you may even throw up a prayer every now and then. But what, what the Lord has really been dealing with me about, and I'm going to get to this, uh, for about the past two months, is doing this all the time, constantly. So, um, so he is our life. In fact, over in uh, verse eleven, and, and it says this in the New Living Translation. But at the very end of eleven, it says, "Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us." Christ is all that matters. 
It isn't whether the stock market plummeted today. It isn't whether we're getting a raw deal from China in trade negotiations. The only thing that matters is Christ Jesus. And what matters is Him living in you. And then He lives in all of us because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. So, I want to revisit what I mentioned on um, uh, Sunday is the fact that the Word is true. So John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. Again, you know, we say this. We know the Word is true, but I've been just mulling on this one over and over and over again, too. The Word is true. And um, in fact, in, uh, I was just reading this in my quiet time this morning. In Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says, um, uh, every, every word of God proves true. Let me see. Yeah, that's what it says. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to Him for protection. And the word for true here in the, in the Hebrew is saraf. And it, and it means to smelt or to refine. And so what, what we have here is a picture of the fact that the Word has passed through fire. It is pure. And, and King James translates it that way. It says every Word of God is pure. And so the Word is pure. It is, there's no, there's no impurity in it. And it, so it's true, it's been true from before everything was created until eternity, and, uh, and it doesn't change. It's always the same. And um, uh, so, oh, Psalm 119, verse 160 in the New Living, um, set, or no, in the RSV says, the sum of thy word is truth. In the New Living, it says the very essence of your word is truth. And so it, there again, is, it's the truth. And so uh, the other day I was reading in Proverbs, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, chapter 20, verse 7, and it says the godly walk in integrity and their children follow after them. Or they're, they're, and their children are blessed as they follow after them. And I went, man, that's true. It doesn't ever change. He, he says, if you're godly and you're walking in integrity, your children are blessed after you. And it doesn't say maybe, perhaps, if you hold your tongue just right. It says your children are blessed after you. So on every prayer walk, I'm, I'm just... I'm doing the hallelujah, kick my heels in the air, saying, I'm walking in integrity, Father, and that means that my sons are blessed after me. That means my daughter-in-laws are blessed after me. That means my grandchildren are blessed after me. And they will, they're blessed right now. This minute, as I take my next step, my children are blessed after me. Why? Because your word is true and it never changes. So, um, so that leads us 
to one of my most favorite verses, Romans 12, 2, and that is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Or that you may prove the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, depending on your version. So, again, that word prove is the smelting kind of word. You test it. You test the word, and you find out that His word is always true. And the way that you do that, the way that you test His word, is by not being conformed to the world, we've already talked about that, but being, what's the Greek word? Metamorpho, transformed, metamorphosized, changed from one form to another by the renewal of your mind. Remember what Paul said back in Romans 7, the battle is in the mind. We renew our mind and then we prove what is the will of God. In other words, is when, I, when I'm walking in integrity and I am just extolling God and I'm saying, my sons are blessed after me, I am proving His Word. My sons are blessed after me. My grandsons are blessed after me. That's the word. I prove what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, um, it goes back to that meditation. I'm not going to belabor this, but you remember Joshua 1.8. Everybody knows that. Psalm 1.2. And it says that you meditate on the Word of God day and night. So we have to have this constant... Um, this constant awareness <clears throat> of the Word. You cannot be aware of the Word if you don't know the Word. You cannot constantly meditate on the Word unless the Word is right here. That's why back in the Old Testament it says, bind the Word right here on your forehead. Tie it around your wrist. Put it on the tassels of your robe. The, the Word is always there. So we, we have to know the Word. We have to let the Word be... <clears throat> it, the Word is us. He lives in us. Jesus is the Word. And He lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. So the Word, we're traveling around with the Word, but we have to be conscious of that Word in our life, and we need to meditate on it, and we need to let the Word permeate every bit of our life and everything we're doing. Whether you're putting in a new generator over at a ranch, the Word, you should be exuding the Word. You should leave trails of the Word from the work site because you are, are meditating, and, and the Word leads you. The Word guides us. The Word leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So, um, okay, so this is where we're going to get a little bit different. So in my um, Integrative Medicine Fellowship, I, I am learning incredible things that I never was taught in medical school. And, uh, and I'm reading uh, a lot of uh, books. 
and one of the ones that I have read is a book by um, Norman Doidge, MD, and it's called The Brain's Way of Healing. And it's all about uh, the neuroplasticity of the brain. Now, the, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is because it is a um, demonstration of what we just talked about, what I'm about to read you. And, um, and I, I want to see where the Holy Spirit's going to lead us on this. So bear with me. There's a, a physician by the name of um, Michael uh, Moskowitz, uh, MD, and uh, he was a psychiatrist. He is a psychiatrist, but he became, he subspecialized in managing pain. So he, he became a chronic pain management specialist. And Dr. Moskowitz himself was um, wa water skiing one day, um, or not water skiing, but uh, on a tube behind the water, the boat, and uh, <clears throat> he fell off, and the boat was going 40 miles an hour. And he did a flip, and he, and he landed, his head hit the water, and uh, hyperextended his head, and he immediately had pain in his neck. And to, to shorten the story a little bit, he ended up having chronic pain for 13 years. Uh, it started on the left side of his neck, then it progressed to the right side, and then it actually went down between the shoulder blades of his, of his back. And uh, so, so from the initial site of the injury on the left side, it progressed and it became chronic. And uh, on a good day, he described his pain as 5 out of 10. On a bad day, 8. And on a good day, or when it was really good, it was a 3. Average 5, good 3, bad 8 for 13 years. Then he, he heard about neuroplasticity of the brain. He started studying the brain, finding out that the brain is actually plastic. You can change the brain. And um, he, he read thousands of pages of uh, scientific articles, and he, he studied where all the pain centers were in the brain and how the brain actually <clears throat> lit up in chronic pain. In other words, pain began to take over other regions of the brain that didn't normally process pain. And so uh, he drew a picture, actually, of the brain on pain, and it's just studded with these stars of pain everywhere in the brain. And then he drew a picture of a pain with no, a brain with no pain. Hard to say. And it was quiet. There, were, there, weren't, there weren't any stars all over the place. And what he started to do was to visualize that he no longer was in the pain brain. He was in the non-pain brain. And he just did that by thinking. He thought and he said... I'm not there, I'm constricting that map, 
I am moving over here to this non-pain brain. Here's what happened. In the first three weeks, he thought he noticed a very small decrease in pain, and he doggedly continued to apply the technique. And he stated, I had to be relentless, even more relentless than the pain signal itself. And you see the connection, the spiritual connection here. We have to be relentless in our application and, and meditation on the Word. So, um, so he greeted every twinge of pain with an image of his pain map shrinking. And uh, after a month, he was getting the hang of it. Because this isn't something that we normally easily do. And <clears throat> applying the technique so conscientiously that he never let a pain spike occur without doing some visualization or other mental activity to oppose it. Let me go on. I was going to say something, but um, it worked. By six weeks, the pain between his shoulders and his back and near his shoulder blades had completely disappeared, never to return. By four months, he was having his first totally pain-free periods throughout his neck. And within a year, he was almost always pain-free. And the pain left in the reverse order of the way it came. So between his shoulders went first, the right side of his neck went next, the left side where the original injury was, was the last to leave. So, I, I want to tell you this story. So, this happened to him, and he gets a patient. Remember, he's a pain specialist by the name of Jan Sandin. In her, she's a registered nurse <clears throat> in her 40s. She was uh, in a, on a cardiac care unit, and she was transferring a 280-pound woman to her bed. The woman all of a sudden put all of her weight on Jan's neck, and it ruptured all five lumbar vertebrae in her back. She was in terrific pain. She ended up having um, surgery. <clears throat> they fused all five vertebrae, lumbar vertebrae in her back. And, um, and it didn't do any good. She was on maximum opioid medications. She'd been through all the rehab, all the physiotherapy, blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> she was declared disabled. She felt her life was over. She was depressed and suicidal. It didn't matter what drugs the doctors gave her. The pain never went away. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't read because on top of the pain, the drugs I took put me in a gray zone. There was no reason to live. She spent the next decade at home, never going out except to doctor's visits. Ten years. She went to see Dr. Moskowitz. And this is her story. One day, Moskowitz said, okay, I thought of something new. And he gave her Dr. Deutsch's first book, The Brain's Way of Healing. And he said, I want you to read this book because he wanted her to understand what neuroplasticity was all about. She read the book and she said this, the book opened up a way for me to think I might be able to do something. I realized I was stuck in a fixed logic. So we get stuck oftentimes 
in a fixed logic in the world that the only way we can get out is by figuring it out. We're going to figure a way out of this. And we don't realize that there is a better way, and it's called God's way. And so she realizes that this is true, and so Dr. Moskowitz gave her the picture of the brain on pain and the brain without pain. And he said, um, he, he said, she says, he told me to look at the brain picture seven times a day. But I sat in the massage chair and I looked at them all day long because I had nothing else to do. I, I would visualize the pain centers firing and then I thought about where my pain was coming from in my back. Then I would visualize how it went into the spine and then into my brain, but with no pain centers firing. In those first two weeks, I had moments when there was no pain. I, it wasn't profound because I felt, oh, it's not going to last. Then I thought, oh, it's back again. Don't get your hopes up. By the third week, I was starting to have a couple of minutes a day without chronic pain. I ju it just stopped me in my tracks. And then it would come back. By the end of the third week, the time without pain seemed to increase. But it happened for such a short period of time <clears throat> that honestly, I never really thought it would go away. By the fourth week, the pain-free periods were up to 15 minutes to half an hour. I thought, this is going to go away. And it did. Next, she started going off all her medications, terrified the pain would return, but it didn't. I wondered, is it a placebo? But the pain still hasn't come back. It's never come back. When Dr. Doidge first saw Jan, she had been free of all medication and pain for a year and a half, and life was returning to normal. It is like I was asleep for a decade. Now I want to stay up 24 hours a day and read and catch up on all that I have missed. I want to be awake all the time. Now let me tell you the end of the story. <clears throat> Jan, who was cured in 2009, uh, Dr. Doidge returned to visit her in 2011. Her chronic pain <coughs> syndrome had not returned and she actually looked younger than she had in 2009. Today, in 2014, when this book was published, she continues to be pain-free, knowing that her relentless application of her mind in those days, when she was confined to a chair, immobilized, depressed, and suicidal from her pain, was the best investment of mental energy she ever made. It's awesome. And it's true. So... So what, what do you think Romans 12, 2 is saying? It says that if you take the unalterable, eternal, ever-present Word of God and you relentlessly meditate on it and you make it yours and you let the Holy Spirit minister the Word to you, Romans 12, 2, the renewal of your mind and the transformation happens. Now, it took her months. It took Dr. Uh, Moskowitz a year to get pain-free. Are you willing to invest that kind of time? 
I am. So for the past two months, I've been doing that. I'm in my third month of just constantly doing that, meditating on the Word in every application uh, of my life, whether I'm studying um, uh, medicine, whether I'm uh, writing a, a, a paper for the government, whether I'm out you know, planting a new tree in my orchard, I'm constantly conversing and I'm constantly taking the word that I've been intaking and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it and it's changing my mind. I, I, am, I am not the same person I was two months ago. And, and so we as a church need to be doing that. And here's, and I just read this today. Um, look at Acts 9.31. So you know Acts 9. It's where Paul is, or Saul of Tarsus <clears throat> is on the road to Damascus. It's that story. And so it's, so we learn all about Saul of Tarsus and what happens to him. <clears throat> and um, they ended up, uh, because th he was having so much opposition, taking him back, sending him away back to Tarsus, his hometown. And then the next verse, verse 31, says this, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. This is a picture of what will happen right here. Is as, as we um, live in the fear of the Lord, um, so became stronger. The word for stronger is oikodomeo. It's a really good Greek word. It actually means to build up, uh, like building a house. And uh, so they grew stronger. They, they got built up. And then the lived in the fear <coughs> is a peruo, and it is to pursue the journey one has entered. So church, we have, we're on a journey, and we're journeying together. We're, we're pilgrims together, and <coughs> we're on this journey. And, uh, and we have the Holy Spirit uh, that encourages us, paraclesis. He's the paraclete. He's paraclesis. He encourages us. He comes alongside us. He's always with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I asked Jeannie today, what does forsake mean? And it means like, what? Leaving somebody, right? Uh, leaving them in the lurch. He says, I will never leave you. I won't forsake you. He's always with us. So we can do it. And what's going to happen? The church is going to grow. By the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, numbers are going to be added. And all of us are going to be meditating on the Word of God. And when we do, we receive revelation. We live revelatory lives and revelation leads to revolution. There is a total change. There, the whole 
your oikos, your sphere of influence around you becomes electric because of that. And when all of us together do that, we it's like that movie uh, uh, where Jar Jar Binks, you know, was they had that big force field over the whole army. You know, it's it's kind of like that. And we and we're walking in the spirit, and the Holy Spirit has has free reign to do what the Holy Spirit needs to do. Amen? So, sorry if I took too long, but... um, So, to go back to this about neuroplasticity, so, there is no doubt in my mind that people that have lived with chronic pain can get better. And... And we're going to see that happen. We're going to see people's lives become transformed when they meet Jesus, or if they've already met Him, they're going to grow in Jesus, and they're, and they're going to be able to walk like Jan Sandon did and not let the devil squeeze you into a Japanese massage chair and you never leave your home. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, is liberty. Okay. So, so do something with this. Take what you heard from the Holy Spirit <clears throat> and do kingdom business. Um, <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. So, let's take up the offering. <clears throat> Father God, I thank You that uh, You have taught us tonight by Your Spirit. I thank You that You are at work in us, <clears throat> both the will and to do Your good pleasure. You're at work in us. And there is this immeasurable power that is toward us. And that power lives in us. That power um, animates us. It makes us go. It supercharges us. And, uh, and so, Father... With all of, of what we have, we give back to You. We give not only our money and, and our time, but we give You ourselves as living sacrifices right now, tonight. We, we say we are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to You. It's our reasonable service. And we are not going to be conformed to this world, but we are going to be transformed by the renewal of our mind because we want to prove your will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So bless these tithes and offerings tonight, Father. Do great and mighty things in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, this is Robert Richards, and you're listening to The Waterhole, our weekly broadcast, which is now available on iTunes and all major podcast platforms. You can also watch the weekly video broadcast on our YouTube channel. Links in the description. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And if you've enjoyed this message, please share this with a friend. God bless you. And remember, no matter where you are and what you've done, Jesus loves you.